The people come here, Michael, to look for aliens, ghosts, and cults, and gateways to hell, secret military bases looking into other dimensions. I think if there is something, it is none of these things, or perhaps all of them. Sounds a bit like viewers who read too deeply into films for Lovecraftian influence. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm Chase McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 2012's Resolution, written and directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. And James, I gotta say, it was weird when I saw the video uh, of us kind of recording this episode. It was even weirder <laughs> when I saw the video of us doing what we're doing right now, but it was probably the weirdest when I saw us recording this podcast and then two drug dealers came in and killed us both. And I, I found it even weirder when some actual Native Americans came in and burned us alive. <laughs> it, it was very bizarre. It, it, yeah. We're not on a reservation at all. No, strange. I, I, we own this apartment. I'm not squatting in it, so I don't know where that was from. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, I'm in Queens. It's kind of we're, we're separate, yet I well, don't know. I, well, I will say I'm, I'm currently recording in Manhattan. It is the land of the, of the Lenape people. Um, true, and true. we did kind of, and we, I mean, you know, white men did kind of come in, murder them all, take all the land, and then just, you know, um, this is ours now. So, well, I mean, they did give $26 worth of <laughs> goods, right? Like, I, I've always found, I remember hearing that in school and going, oh, so we're assholes. Yeah. I remember saying, like, I didn't say that in school, but I said, oh, we're, we're, we're bad people. And my teacher was like, well, no. I'm like, no, we are. <laughs> even even as a kid, you hear about colonialism and be like, that's, that's fucked up. Like, yeah, that's I'm, terrible. I'm a child. And if you gave me $26 and a bunch of beads, I wouldn't even mow the lawn for you. Like, No, I, I would actually tell you, go fuck yourself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, we are talking about um, resolution. But uh, before we get into that, James, I saw your, your Twitter post. What were you uh, drinking in, in, uh, in preparation for this episode? Oh, um, well, I have, I mean, I finished it already, but I also ate a steak and some fries, so to sober up. It's a uh, barley wine. Oh, God, um, wow, okay. And, and I'll show it to you real quick, 13.5%. <laughs> That's significant. And I'll be honest, it was one of the smoothest drinks, like, it was just like, like, oh, this is not that bad. Oh, yeah, I really need to eat something. And, like, what brewery is that from? It's this is, um... Adroit Theory. Okay. They do... Yeah, they're from uh, Percival, Virginia. I mean, I've been getting them via Taver, um, the app where since the pandemic started, that's been the way I've been getting my beer. Okay. Like, yeah. And like, you know, they kind of have like, you know, every day, like four or five different beers pop up and they sell out fast and some stay. But I mean, I've been becoming fans of certain breweries and this is one of them like they do a lot of really really if you want like a really good tasting but like super strong either barley wine or or uh double ipa or triple ipas oh wow they, yeah no their shit is like on point but and they're and they're always smooth it, it's like even though even when they're hazy they're, you drink it you go oh this is actually really good like they they don't just do it for, you know, just to make them strong. It's like, oh, they actually have talent behind there. So, 
Yeah, it was a good. It's it's a good one to get your mind going for this film, especially. Yeah, I, I am a. I'm currently drinking a uh, Victory from a, a Victory Brewery oh, in Downingtown, yeah. Pennsylvania. Um, Sour Monkey Sour Triple, which is nine and a half percent. So, Ooh. Um, Ooh. I'll be I honest. I like Victory a lot. Victory's good. Victory's so not bad. I don't. I don't <laughs> like sours, and so I must say I'm I, uh-huh. I'm drinking this just to get it out of the fridge. <laughs> Well, I mean, I understand that. I mean, like, I don't know if I, I... Did I ever tell you the first time I had a sour? I believe you did, but I don't know if it yeah. was on mic or not. Okay, so first time I had a sour was with my friend and former co-host of uh, Small Screen Cinema, Joe Yannick, who now helps run uh, Yellow Veil Pictures. Mm. Shout out to them. Really good, good, really good dude and like, really cool stuff that they've been putting out. But we met up at the Draft House, you know, Supposedly coming back in May, I saw. Even though, Al- did Alamo declare bankruptcy, or was it just a few of its ven- theaters? Yeah, they, they de- it's a weird situation with that. That's a whole other story, but like they declared bankruptcy, understandably so, because... It sucks, man, yeah. Yeah. They've closed down, I think, three or four, which one of them is actually one I've been to in, in uh, Austin, which oh. has been like one of the base like sites for them it's where fantastic fest used to happen every year right one of the ones where fantastic fest would take place so it's kind of sad to see that go Mm -hmm. the ritz the ritz is r.i.p but it's good to see them coming back but it's it's a very weird situation because tim lee who hasn't been with them technically is part of this new conglomerate that's buying into them again that's giving them money so he's technically getting back into power okay very weird situation that's very uh what's the word capitalist <laughs> um so so that's a weird situation but long story short um first time i had a sour was at the at the draft house's bar and joe i met joe i, I forgot what movie we were seeing but he's like hey uh this tastes like shit do you want to try some <laughs> okay sure and i'm the type of guy that goes yeah sure i'll try it and it did. It tasted terrible, and I was like, "Oh, sours! They're terrible." Yeah. It didn't take me until like maybe like three or four months later when I living in Ridgewood and I found my favorite beer bar, which I still need to go back to since this whole shit uh, craft culture down in Ridgewood. They they're they're very good for cultivating like good flavors, good good different beers, and there like the the guy oliver who i became friendly with there the bartender at the time was like oh um what do you want today i'm like i don't know um what do you suggest he's like well do you like sours i'm like well i had a bad sour but like a good bartender he goes well here try try a little bit of this and i tried it and i'm like oh this is actually this tastes really good he's like okay so you like it then here here's some more and like and from that point on, I've I've realized what kind of sours I like and what kind of sours I'm not a fan of. Hmm. And it's one of those weird things. Like, I mean, hell, there's some quote unquote sours that I get from from this service that it tastes like juice. Like it tastes <laughs> straight up like like it's a, like a smoothie. Yeah, yeah, they're like smoothie sours, and I'm like, wow, this is something. This is this is like alcohol. Like like okay, I'll do. And the problem with that is it's it's one of those things where you go, oh. This is deadly. This is yeah. You only could drink one or two of these, and yeah. I gotta stop. I mean, I whenever I've gone to breweries in the past and gotten like the flights, the sour one is always mm-hmm. the one that gets like the sip taken out of, but everything else is drained. It, it just I, 
I, I yeah. don't know. It, it's it's not it's not the worst thing I've ever drank. But like I said, it, it's I saw you drinking something with a high alcohol content. I'm like, well, I'll I'll join in because why not? It's a Sunday afternoon, right? Um, but I don't love it. Uh, Victory as a brewery in general, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of. But it's uh, yeah, this drink itself. I, I have to say, I've actually the place that I've been going to get beer during the pandemic is there's actually there's a key foods just a couple oh. blocks away from us which has an entire aisle of alcohol nice. and which i um i mean it's got everything you could possibly hope for or imagine including stuff from 21st amendment which is one of my favorite wow. breweries really oh, yeah wow. that's that's awesome um cool. 20 21st amendment makes probably my favorite fruit beer which is hell or high watermelon um had, which I, I was i was introduced to as like do you like fruity beers? I was like, no. He's like, then you're going to love this. And it is it is perfect. And between, depending on the dates, either that or uh, Abita's Purple Haze is like, which one is my favorite fruit beer? Um, but Yeah, Abita's Purple, Purple Haze is a good, solid one. Like, that you find in a lot of places. Like, actually, the shop right near my job has Purple Haze. So whenever I'm <laughs> in the mood for, like, that one again, I'm like, okay, I'll get a six-pack. But what I like about the service is, get one or two you don't have to get a six pack so if something tastes like shit you go okay that sucked but i only got one of them mm-hmm. toss you know it's gone but i'll be honest like i i tend to know what my likes and dislikes are now so it's it's very rare when i get a beard that is terrible it's usually <laughs> it'll be middling like yeah. that you know what i mean like like i don't know if, are you part of uh, untapped i am not Okay, so Untapped is what the way I track all these beers that I try. So, you know, you could rate it from zero to five, and like, you know, most of my beers go between like a three point five to four point five. You know, like I'm kind of like lucky in that once in a while I get that one that goes, mm, okay, that's a that's a two. Okay, <laughs> pass it along. But, but enough of this talk. You know. Yeah. What, what, I mean, let's talk about meth. that's a wonderful segue um yeah i i now i I do want to 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 get back or not get back to but so the intro that i said you know about looking too deep into things i I mentioned that as kind of a joke but also kind of serious because this was a movie as i said at the end of our last episode i've Mm -hmm. covered this before for i do movies badly back when i did it and a lot of my analysis or appreciation that came from this being a real meta and self-aware horror film that was also like Lovecraftian um, influences, which is funny because when doing research for this episode, I found an interview with Benson and Moorhead for medium.com, which I'll post in the show notes on the Facebook page. And there are two big takeaways that I, that I want to get out of this and and kind of talk about one where um, they say people describe resolution as, Oh, it's Lovecraftian. I didn't know who HP Lovecraft was. But I knew if you slowly realize that whatever this antagonist is, it's something so old that it predates other mythologies of monsters, that idea got under my skin. The idea that you kind of feel like you're sitting in the presence of some really ancient evil. That was a scary idea. And then later on, when they're asked about the meta elements of it, they basically say they didn't set out to make a meta horror film. And all that analysis kind of came afterwards. I mean, they made a, a low budget and it was made for $20,000, a very low budget horror film that was based around a relationship between these two characters. And I don't know, kind of, I guess conjures up the age old question intent versus interpretation. I mean, we've joked about how throw a tentacle and something, Oh, it's Lovecraftian, but do we do <laughs> the same thing when it comes to 
spiritual philosophical things where it's like oh here's a very lovecraftian film but you have the filmmakers being like uh we didn't try to do that that's just kind of a th- thing i mean i guess it speaks to the universality of some of the themes that lovecraft deals with but it is just interesting to me where i'm like oh look at this this wonderful little low budget meta horror film which speaks to these larger themes and then you have the filmmakers being like yep we didn't intend for any of that and i i, I think that's what's great about art like you know in general like Art, you know, like whenever anyone asks David Lynch, oh, can you, you know, can you explain what your film is about? He's like, no. <laughs> you take from, and, and, you know, Tarantino and other filmmakers are the same way where, oh, well, uh, Marcellus Wallace is his, the bandaid on the back of his neck. That's his soul, right? That he's trying to get his suit. And like, you know, Tarantino's like, that's cool that you got that from that, but he had a cut on the back, you know, he has a scar on the back of his head. I thought a, a bandit would look like more badass yeah. on the back. You know, is that the intent of the filmmaker? No. But if you get that from it, even a filmmaker might go, that's pretty cool. Okay. I'm glad you saw that. Mm-hmm. I didn't intend that at all, but you take that. And it, it's kind of funny to think, cause like while watching this again, and I hadn't seen this since, you know, 2011, 2012 time period. And, you know, recalling how, when I saw it, I didn't think of Lovecraft when I saw it. Sure. Back then. You mm. know what I mean? I, I thought of, okay, the way this film is, it's like 75% of it is just like, you don't know what's going on. And you really never never do. You know, even with the, the shock, you know, kind of abrupt ending. You don't know what is this thing or this being that is like, playing with them mm-hmm. you know kind of like they're the story the beginning middle and end where's this story gonna go they see elements of their own story playing out throughout and to me it's just a cool little like it's almost like i could see them being fans of like films like you know even like a film like triangle but um you know where um basically melissa george's character is on this boat with her friends, but then it keeps playing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's like almost like a time travel, time loop type of story. And this is kind of like that that element of a, of a time loop of sorts where you're seeing elements of like what just played and what is possible. And if you change that future, what's the next thing? And then, oh, well... We're going to see this instead. And, oh, wait, we changed that. So is it a happy ending now? Well, we'll see. Mm. And I kind of like that element of, like, they sought out just to make a cool, low-budget sci-fi horror film. And ultimately now they've used that to catapult their careers throughout, almost always playing into that. Like, they joke around, like, they don't like cliches. Like, and, and one of the special features, like, it's, like, only, like, a three-minute interview with them. But it's very telling. Like, it's very, really quick, you know, um, them just saying they met when they, I think, I forgot if it was, yeah, it was Benson that was about to leave the internship at Ridley Scott's company, mm-hmm. Scott Free. Okay. And Moorhead was starting the first day. Okay, and, and they were sharing an orange juice together <laughs> on the outside because they weren't allowed to be inside where the real directors were <laughs> and how 
Moorhead was like, oh, I, I, I want, you know, ultimately I want to be, you know, a, 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 a director DP. And Benson's like, oh, well, that's funny because I want to be a director and writer. Mm. And then they became just like one day they just became fr like friendly, like, oh, let's keep in touch. And then they just started working with each other from that point on. So you could tell they have like the same like similar ideas and like where they wanted to go. And they didn't want to go for cliches, but they they like tropes, not cliches. And I understand that like this this film has more tropes than cliches. Like there's no jump scares, but it's like the subtlety of like that in the bottom of your gut where you're like, OK, what's going to happen? You, you, you feel tense because you're like, what's going to happen with these characters or these guys that are like. You know, you got three days, you got two days, we're going to come there. And you got the, the, the meth dealer addicts that are like, we're going to come there and kill you. And like, you know, you have that and this other thing that's going on. So it's like, there's no gore, you know, there's no, like, you know, there's no viscera. There's, and I think that's what, play, like, it plays well. And like $20,000, they did a hell of a job for this film. Oh, like, yeah leaning or not even leaning but getting the most out of their very low budget and how they do that is centering it on this relationship between mike and chris and great performances from peter salella oh. as mike and and vinnie curran as chris especially vinnie curran i think is yeah fantastic and i'd actually be curious I, I probably could google it but how much of the the dialogue was scripted and how much of it was like playing around with it because Vinny has or Chris the the character Vinny the actor like really has a feel of sort of I don't I don't not want to say necessarily a naturalism but I know people like this guy you know same like same he, here. he felt real whereas Mike felt like a character in a movie you know you're, you're right about that like no it's funny you said it because like watching it again it you know his character reminded me of a friend I had hmm? that in college was you know we partied together it was fun and then years later he was still the the partier drug addict and we all went on with our lives <laughs> and most people looked at him as the loser the the thief the liar mm -hmm. and how i would once in a while try to like break through to this guy and you know, ultimately, either he had to do it himself or he was going to die. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's kind of so kind of like really took me, you know, like like almost by surprise again that I'm like, oh, wow, this is. Yeah, we know people like this. And it's it's sad like because he's the funny guy. But ultimately, he's the saddest person ever. Yeah. And, and he knows it by the end. He's like, yeah, uh, yeah, um, I need help. Like, yep. I really do. Yeah, no, I. I. I have a friend too who we, you know, these two people are are you know my friend and Chris. They're they're not a, a perfect equivalency of each other, but yeah, a guy who burned through every relationship he had, you know, down to the bottom of the barrel, uh, was panhandling in like a you know in Patterson because nobody would would want to take him into his home. Uh, was flown to Florida by another friend to check into rehab. The next day, he had disappeared from rehab. Nobody knew where he was. And it, it, it was that thing is like we have hilarious stories of when we were all kind of hanging out and partying and right. being irresponsible. But then eventually got to a point where it's like, dude, if if he comes around, don't fucking let him in. Call the police like we can't yeah. we can't do this. And remembering 
the tension or the conflict that I felt in the sense of like, but we have to take, but we have to take care of this guy. But then even therapists would tell like, sometimes you just have to let people get to the bottom of the barrel. Like they, they need to have that moment. They need to have that revelation. And what I think is interesting about this movie and the Mike character is that I know when I first saw this movie, I saw him more as a character of like, um, compassionate, um, involved in his friend's life. But then you watch this, I watch it again and like, actually he's, not that he's an asshole, but he is kind of, um, not authoritarian, but he's like, I, I'm going to fix this. There is an ego to this guy. Oh you know? yeah. And, and, and even Chris says that to him. Mm-hmm. I, and, and then buddy, you know, towards the end, Mike realized, you know, he's like, yeah, you're right. Like I wanted to make myself feel better before I have my child, that I did something good for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I, and, that's kind of what I love about this relationship because, that, like you said, at the beginning it's like one side that it, you know, evolves and devolves throughout, and ultimately they both like I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say respect, but like you know, realize what the other one is doing for the other, and like you know, jokingly, oh, you'd be a great uncle. Like, no, I wouldn't. Full of shit, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I, and I love that. It's like, oh. You, you know, you're a great dad. You come try to help your loser fucking friend who's a meth addict, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, instead of being with your wife that's pregnant. Yeah. And it's funny and, and it's true because, like, I've had moments of that in my life where I was trying to be the helpful person. But ultimately, I thought I was doing it just to be a nice person. But, yeah, ultimately, we, we you know, we can't help it. But we want to try to fix people sometimes because it's almost to help fix ourselves in a weird way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we see the little, like, you know, curve of, like, you know, Chris's character where at first he's just like, come on, let me out. And he's trying to attack him. But then when the saddest part is when he's so weak, he can't he can't even, like, grab the, the candy bar. Mm-hmm. It's just like, can you? And, of course, you know, rewatching it, I'm like, oh, wait, does he try to attack him again? I'm like, oh, no, he's no. he's bottom. Like you said, again, the bottom of the barrel. But even after that, he's. Like, even a scene later, he's combative and saying, no, fuck you. Like, I'm ne- I'm like you want closure? I'm never going to rehab. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what the way I am. And sadly, some people are like that, where this is my life. It's it's If I had great parents, guess what? I'd, I'd have great parents, but still be a drug addict. I, I love that yeah. moment, and not yeah. because it's inspiring, but because of how truthful it is to the character where yeah he he says and I, i've had that line in my head for days yeah. ever since yeah. i rewatched this movie but just like you know what i'd be if i if i was you or you know what i'd be if i if i had your parents i'd have i'd be a kid that had great fucking parents and wanted to get high like yeah. and that i think speaks to the the lovecraftian themes if we want to to believe that they are there or we want to read into it whatever right that idea of an inescapable fate and you have two well, characters who are yeah. Chris, who I don't want to say embrace it, but he kind of realized like, this is who I am. This is how I'm always going to be. And he, he is sort of in a way, a good, uh, Lovecraftian character, like a supporting character you'd see in a Lovecraftian short where he's just like, he knows what the gig is. He knows yeah. his plight. He knows his lot in life. He knows there are forces out there that are making the universe move. And he's like, this is just how it is, man. You know, yeah, it's satellites, it's satellites, man. Yeah. It's satellites. My, like, but Mike, no, you're right though. It, it, he, 
he almost gets it more than Mike. Like, look, I'm a fuck up. I like getting high. You know what? I was good. I was I was good at pretending. You you thought I was happy. Oh, there was times you were happy. No, I was just good at, at at pretending. You know, like I I was fucking miserable. I've always been miserable. And like I've I've had friends like that too. Just always like they were just good at shielding themselves mm-hmm. and and being happy. And like they were fucking depressed, you know, and like you, you go, oh, my God, really? Mm-hmm. I wish I had known. But then again, again, it's that thing. I wish I had known. Yeah. But what could you have done? And yeah, because you have Mike who comes in here thinking, I'm going to change things. I have the power. I, you know, he has the ego where he's sort of like. He's unaware of what the gig is, is unaware of what the universe is like, is even unaware to a certain extent of who his own friend is and is like, I can change things. And so you have this idea of. A, a fate a plot that's going to play out one of whom is like no this is just how it is and the other guy is like no i can change this and then as it turns out in the end they can't change literally anything you know one right the roles eventually switch where you know um chris is like fuck man yeah i, I don't want to die take me to therapy and mike is like yeah i'm sorry for this thing that i did and like and and there's this inspirational yeah. moment where you're thinking yes they can change thing it wanted a happy ending, except no, it didn't want a happy ending. Whatever the it is, yeah, it wanted just an ending. Yeah, not 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 happy. And like, and that's the thing too. It's like the whole time, the story is Mike wants to help Chris. But the reason why he wants to help Chris because he sees the video of him mm-hmm. shooting shit up, smoking meth, and the whole thing is like, who recorded this? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't remember sending that to you. Do you see any fucking computers or Wi-Fi here? And that's actually what makes it even creepier. It's like this this force, whatever whatever this thing is, is almost just having fun. Well, and I'm I'm thinking of the line uh that the Oracle says in the Matrix when <laughs> she's like, you know, and don't worry about the vase, and he turns around like what face and knocks it over. <laughs> um and yeah. and he says, I'm sorry. And, and, you know, she says, like, what's really going to bake your noodle later is later on is would you still have broken if I hadn't said anything? Right. And the equivalency in that movie to this is this thing of like, would Mike have even been on this journey if he hadn't if whatever hadn't shown that video, would the story had played out in the way if the videos didn't continue to be shown, if there wasn't the photographic evidence found, if the playback machines didn't show this ultimate quote-unquote fate, was it showing them to push them into the fate that it wanted? How much of this was them um, acting out their own free will? And how much of it was, as soon as Mike got to that cabin, was it fucking done? Was it... It's, and, in, it's, it's inevitable, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right from that start, yeah. Right when he gets there and, you know, Chris is just shooting shit, shooting, shooting, because like, the birds... That are stealing shit from him, which is hysterical. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's done. It's a done deal because all the little little pieces of a story that this being is like kind of throwing down to them, like oh here here's a little snippet, here's something else, here's something else. Like it's almost like little you know crumbs, and they're just to lead them along to like this ultimate fate that they can't escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's depressing, but at the same time, I love, like, you know, you know this, I love films like that, where it's like, oh yeah, it sucks, life sucks, <laughs> and 
You know, there's nothing they can do. And like, it's such a, it's such a wallop on the head when like, you know, like we'll talk about the ending, but like, just the, just what Mike says to this thing. That's like what we see, you know, from the point of view, it's like bigger than what we could even imagine what it looks like, you know? But just, uh, I mean, introducing the themes very early on in the film of like, can I change this guy? Can we change who we are? Can we change the story? And the ultimate answer being, despite what we have eventually come to believe, the ultimate answer being no. Yeah, no, there's you- no free will. Yeah, there's no free will. You're, 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 you have a path. That's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just like you said, that thing of like, is this thing laying these breadcrumbs where it's like, I'm going to, I mean, just think of how psychologically twisted it is of like, I'm going to give you hope to get you to a point where I break you is like, Oh my oh, God. I know. Oh, and, and, and you have all these, what I, what I love too about the, this little area, this little meth addicted, um, reservation slash just weird characters, just weird people mm-hmm. that live in the outskirts of society. And I, I love that idea of, how there's something about this area, space, whatever, that seems to draw in people that are not just on the fringe of society, but also people that are looking for something. I mean, Byron talks yeah. about these um, these archaeologists or these these students that physicists, came, yeah. yeah, these physicists that came looking for so yeah. some. One was an archaeologist, one was a physicist, one was mm-hmm. a whatever. Um, but they were. Or, or maybe maybe it's um maybe it's the the indigenous guy who talks about the students that came by that were looking yes. for something. They were interested in the caverns, um, and this is this is how I made sense of it. And it's not any text in the movie, but this is how I made sense of it in a way that found that I found it interesting. Mm-hmm. If you're a Harry Potter fan, you know that when Dumbledore and Harry are looking for uh, Horcruxes from Voldemort, they first go to that cave in Half Blood Prince, and Dumbledore says, "Dark magic leaves traces." And I was thinking then, too, of, like, you know, we've covered a couple, I think, one or two versions of the Dunwich Horror on this podcast. And there's that huge fucking ceremony at the end where Wilbur Waitley is trying to summon his weird, invisible, demonic half-brother from another dimension. And ultimately, they, you know, succeed in defeating that thing. But what kind of scars or marks does does that leave in the place, you know? Right. What does it draw in? What does it attract? How does it affect the actual physical reality? And so in my mind, whatever ground they're on, there was something that happened generations ago, but it left a scar. And that yeah. scar, yeah, that scar yeah. has attracted people, has changed even the temporal reality. And just like there's evil there that is like actually in the ground that you just can't escape. And yet it draws you in. And then once you're in, it's like, got you. Sorry. It- no, and it's funny. No, that's perfect because like, it's in the water. It's in the. It's just in this in this area, and like we see this like weird area with like the um, the oven that like people sacrifice things in. Mm-hmm. But like, and then we you know throughout the movie you see like you know when Mike's walking around he sees these weird characters like you see these three guys that are like these weird religious zealots, you know, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, are they in on it? Or they just, again, like you said, they're searching for something They're Something here is like this epicenter of something like mm-hmm. can't explain what it is, but they know, you know 
and like the people people on the fringe of society like and you know again drug addicts their minds are in a different place so they see something here then you have like crazy people like the the girl that's like on the outside just tapping in you never see her again <laughs> but but she, she it's just a creepy scene but like she sees something this dog sarah who sophie leaves byron sees something in this place i don't know what you even think about that weird fucking broker that just randomly comes oh yeah like and 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 watching it again i'm like he almost seems like he's this weird religious like character that is going door to door to sell his religion but it's just trying he's just trying to buy the house like oh you know people that buy houses for cash <laughs> and of course it's kind of funny but then he's like very ominous when he's saying like well people might want to know your secret or something and it's like oh okay and you never see him again it's like all these weird characters you just almost a glimpse of like this area and then they just go back into their hole you know you have that crazy weird weird creepy homeless guy that might in the cavern sprains his ankle yep and, and what I like uh, also about that moment when he stumbles into the cavern and sees that guy is almost how it sort of pulls the rug out from under you where you're you're almost to an extent expecting him to find something, but all he finds is yes. a person. And, and it's nothing else. It's just a person that screams at him. It, it's, it's just a person who is squatting in a cave because where else is that person going to go? And almost almost kind of sets up this pattern where you're like, oh, I'm expecting this thing and there's nothing there. So I guess I should just expect nothing from now on only to find out then even later on, like, no, there, there actually is something. There is a monster or whatever you, you know, like how Byron says, oh, there, maybe they were looking for monsters, but they only found themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? And it's kind of like, like some, there's some lines in this that are, like it's funny to think that they weren't they weren't even they didn't know Lovecraft yet it's almost more Lovecraftian than some Lovecraftian <laughs> stuff that yep. that people say oh it's Lovecraftian it's like and they they intended it to be Lovecraftian or even a Lovecraft adaptation it's like it's telling when just filmmakers make something that they didn't even intend to be Lovecraftian and it's like no you got it even better cuz you didn't intend to do it mm -hmm. you just had the idea of this weird force that's just doing stuff that malevolent force or even not even malevolent just it's just doing it just because it can <laughs> yeah you know? and and that's a horrifying thing too i mean the iago thing from shakespeare just like hey mm -hmm. why did you do all this to othello and he just gives no answer and then gets like carted off like are you fucking kidding me like you're you're denied even the closure that Chris gives of I'm never fucking going to therapy, even that closure from a character or an entity, whatever, that's like, why are you doing this? Meh. The less I know, the more scary it is. Like, if I don't know why, like, and I kind of like the fact, you know, with, especially with Halloween, how the new sequel just went, oh, no, that's all bullshit. <laughs> like, what's it, they weren't brother and sister. He's, he's just a fucking psychopath. Mm -hmm. He just wanted to kill. But yeah, so like, and, and that's the thing with this film, like where there's no explanation. They're trying to come up with what could it be? You know, Mike is like, well, it has to be, it has to be the two drug dealers or it has to be. And then, you know, what I love about Chris is like, well, maybe you have split personality. Maybe you're doing this to yourself. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of funny that, um, I mean, 
we're following for the most part Mike's POV because Chris yeah. is handcuffed to a pipe. So we see where Mike goes and we see kind of what is happening. But also in the moment, Chris is being the most rational, at least in yeah. his explanation. Like, I don't know where you fucking go when you leave here. I don't know. Maybe it's the old wiring in this place. And it's sort of like, yes, the meth head is being rational and Mike is trying to delve deeper into this. What does this thing want from us? I found all these old playback things. Like, maybe you don't mess with anything, Mike. Maybe you get the hell right. out of there. Right. And uh, even that's throughout. Like, when they find, like, the film, he's like, uh, don't open it. Don't, <laughs> don't, or the CD. Don't put the CD on. Puts the CD on. Yep. And puts the CD on. And, like, but I, and I love what, what, what's, what's, like, again, what's great about the Chris character, even though he's this meth head that's finally, like, you know, coming down from this, this high, he notices things that I'm happy he does. Like when he knows, like, is that true? You're going to be a dad. Mm-hmm. Cause he heard that on the recording. Yep. Like, please no, I'm a father. And then boom. Yeah. What I love is that even with that scene where, Oh, okay. They get killed by the drug dealers that they say, okay, well we can't be in there in daylight. So we'll leave. And then they listen to the recording and it's, you know, the native people coming and shooting them and burning the, the cabin. And then them seeing the film and going, okay, well, we're outside of the cabin. And it's like, we're outside of a flame. And it's like illuminating us. Yeah. And and that is what happens. That is, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and ultimately, it's the drug dealers that get killed the same exact way mm-hmm. that they would have been killed. And it's like really cleverly done because like, they didn't really change much. They just changed just enough that people still get killed mm-hmm. in the cabin and get burned. And even then, after all that shit, when the bullets are going off, and then, like, for a split second, you think Chris has been, like, shot by one of the bullets. Mm-hmm. It's just quiet. And no, he just wants one more hit. Yes. I need to get a hit. Because he's a drug addict. Mm-hmm. And that's realistic. Like, wait, that's there's, there's full drugs in there. I can get them. No, I can't. You're right. <laughs> Like I am a drug addict. I need I need help. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like oh, at least we have a happy ending. No, we don't. <laughs> no, because whatever this force is like, can we? What do we have to do to you know? What 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 does Mike say exactly? He's like, it's something like maybe we could we could go through it again in a different way or, or something right. that something that effective. He's recognizing like or he what he believes because as we'll talk about in the endless, it, it probably doesn't matter what they would have done. But he probably believes like oh. This wasn't the way we should have done it. We should have done it a different way. Um, yeah. Which which sucks because the way that they did it was the quote-unquote happy ending. Right. So instead, whatever this thing is, whether the thing is a creature, whether the thing is our audience expectations, or whether the thing is fate, is like, no, no, no. What you needed to do was play out the roles that you recognized earlier you were. This is who you are. You can't change that thing. And that's cynical and awful um but there there was also there was something that you had uh, had wanted to to speak about because i i watched this on prime you watched the blu-ray yeah. and you had wanted to speak a little bit about the the special features yeah i mean the special features are i mean i didn't listen to the commentary that's the one thing i didn't get the chance to and i'm gonna guess that it actually was it's pretty good but the the special features while being fun and comical um and playing with the whole movie itself the idea of like like this one 
the you know alternate ending mm-hmm. and it's and it's basically six months later and like oh they survived and them all the stuff that happened like oh the girl that was tapping the window oh we're going out now she just needed her meds oh how's your kid oh it's great oh you know i i oh it, is your wife still angry at me? Oh no, of course not. You you saved our child from from war. Well, yeah, you know, babies can't swim, so you know, it was it was a baptism. So of course I saved your child because you couldn't swim. It's like stupid funny, like you know, and like there's one like oh um the the friend that we don't see in the movie mm-hmm. that they cut out, and it's like another a, a third person in the cabin, but it's it's played for laughs. Like this guy just on the out, you know, like oh, just basically telling like what we was like oh uh. You're gonna go do that? Okay, I'll just play with the dog. I'll see you guys. See you guys in a bit. You know, and it's like I'm just gonna go on my lawnmower now. It's like stupid, like kind of <laughs> like juvenile, like and especially like oh, you thought they were gay? No, no, they don't fuck at all. It, like you know what I mean? And it's like mm. and like no, these guys are better than this. And like I think since then they have done that, you know. But it's like. No, those are special features I will never watch again. Like, you know, there's sometimes some special features you go, oh, that's a good one. I'm going to show that to people. Yeah. These will ruin a movie. And does seem to speak, and now I I have not seen the special features myself, but does seem to speak to a kind of an immaturity which is, I don't want to say prevalent, but is noticeable in the film itself. And, And I... I would yeah, like talked. to I would like to justify it by saying like oh well they were young when they made this movie they they were only twenty nine which is not you're not a fully formed human yet but also you're not you know you're not a teenager you're not twenty two you're twenty nine right. so you'd 29. think that you'd be a bit smarter um, and instead yeah they're I mean as much as we raved about the performances Mike and Chris are pretty broy and there's a lot of yes. like humor which yes. just really hasn't aged well a lot of misogyny and just like. Not and, even homophobia, but like the joke of like, oh, like when that that broker comes, oh, they're a couple. Uh, get it? Mm-hmm. We were talking before we were started recording. Like, oh, you remember when you dated that? You know, you had sex with that fat girl. Okay, that's a joke. Yeah, badoom. Like, cool. Yeah, badoom. Oh, yeah. well. Well, what about you with that girl? Well, I was drunk in college. Oh, so you're a dick. Okay. And I can see, and I don't want to, I don't want to justify it. Yeah. I can see how maybe they would think, here are real moments between these two friends who right. are poking it. Like, I mean, it adds, it adds a, getting back to what we said, we know guys like this, but yeah. also that kind of shit was like, don't bring up these stories. Like, come on, man. Why you got why, why do you have to be like that? I, I still, I mean, this guy that I talked about, I'm involved in a group thread with him and another friend. And his jokes are always the one where it's like, Ugh, come on, man, have you not really grown up at all? You're right. No, and it's funny. Like, again, the friend I was alluding to before, every so often, like group chat and we're talking, and he'll bring up stories like, and he, and he, you know, he's been sober for like ten years now. You know, more power to him. But like, he'll bring up stuff, like remembering stuff that was awful, mm-hmm. like awful, and him just like, oh, remember that time when, well. Yeah, that was bad. I'm trying not to remember that. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. like you almost died. Mm-hmm. How is that funny? You know, and that's kind of what this is. Like, like their friends. You know, they were really good friends. But if you, if you, if you had a prequel to this, it'd just be a really depressing like friendship. Mm-hmm. Maybe they shouldn't be friends. Actually, that's kind of what I get from it at the end. Even though, like, ultimately, 
they do bond and like, you know, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, you're not connected. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Like go on with your lives. You know, maybe, maybe Chris just dies of a drug overdose. That's sad, but maybe that's, maybe that would have made Mike survive this weird fucking being, you know, like he would have never went. If, if he didn't care so much either about his friend or about making himself feel better, he would, he would be with his wife and just have a child and like have a happy life. Yeah. And and now what we're saying, these criticisms certainly don't negate everything good about the movie, but it is one oh, of no, those, no. It, it is one of those kind of things where like once I, I had forgotten about that. So once I was rewatching, I was like, uh, yeah, I had forgotten about these parts. And so it's, it's sort of something you have to preface like, Hey, there's some great stuff in here, but there's also some, uh, some 2012 stuff in here. Um, yeah. And, and and yeah, but I, but I guess you hit upon a point that I, I is a question that I'm not sure if you have a, an answer to it or if it's a rhetorical thing, but let's say it had played out. The story had played out the way that it showed up on the tape or the CD. Let's say Mike and whatever his name come back and kill the both of them. Or let's say the indigenous people kind of come back. That That's another thing too. Yeah. We have indigenous characters who are basically one dimensional kind of like, I don't want to say evil, but they're, they're assholes. They're, like they are, they're, 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 they're bad kind of people. Assholes. Yeah. yeah. They're like, and, and sadly it's kind of like you said, one dimensional, like they work, you know, especially Charles uh, works at a casino. Mm-hmm. When you ever see him, he's drinking like a lot, <laughs> Yep. you know, and he's kind of a dick, just wants money mm-hmm. and gives him little hints. But like, you know, ultimately, it's like, if you don't leave, you know, like, there's, there's there's drug addicts buried in these hills. Yeah. Okay, so you're admitting to killing fucking people. Like, you're a murderer, like, like from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And and we do see that. They are murderers. Oh, yeah, cold-blooded. It, yeah, cold-blooded. Like, it doesn't really play into the story. It, yeah, and it's I... It's not like them talking about, oh, the... Well, there is a there is a secret society. It's like they kind of hinted it, but it's like it wasn't really fleshed out. Yeah, by casting that role or those roles with indigenous actors, then you it kind of draws attention to it and, and a significance to it for some reason, or, or or something which is, you know, that there there's a a I don't want to say specialist, but there's a reason we did this, right, and. Then you have them, those characters, then being so one-dimensional and cold-blooded. And not to the extent where you can possibly make an argument like, well, but it speaks to these people exploiting them and that kind of thing. Because we don't spend enough time in it, so I don't think that's a valid criticism either. So then I just get back to, yeah, it's kind of a harmful depiction in a way. Yeah, Um, I don't think it's intended to be harmful. But it, it ultimately, sometimes, that's the most harmful one, where it's like, did you need to make them indigenous? Well, yeah, and, but once again, we've we've already talked about intent versus interpretation, right? Exactly. And exactly. how, you know, how well did this age, which is really not well at all. Um, right. That, that, was, that was a sidetrack, but getting back to the question of, so let's say Micah yeah. and that other drug dealer did come stole their shit back, murdered the two of them, and or the indigenous people came and, and, you know, murdered the two of them and burned down the house. Does this story keep repeating? Is it just their death that this thing 
wanted or not to, to speak too much on endless because we will be speaking about that right. next time but just i know this hits on it a little bit but i just wonder yeah what, what did this thing want was this story always going to repeat no matter what and 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 yeah is 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 this thing that's wanted this story does it want the ultimate story or is it just wants to torment these people into an endless loop of death like no matter what they're gonna die in some sort of fashion be it by drug dealers or by indigenous like thugs or a car accident or something or is it looking for like if they figure out the best way like you know you think oh well, they figured out the best way to defeat this thing maybe it's this maybe it's a sore loser it doesn't want to lose like no no you're gonna die either way I just wanted to see what you come up with. Oh, you you did pretty well, but I'm still gonna you're still gonna die horribly. Because you know what happens. Like they, and I kind of love the abrupt ending of it, where they're like, you know, oh, and then it cuts. That's it. <laughs> if you haven't <laughs> seen The Endless, I'm sorry, we've somewhat spoiled the idea that listen, uh, Mike and Chris come back, and the movie is called The Endless, so you can kind of get a sense of uh, mm. what's been going on in their world. But um. Yeah, so uh, always curious to hear from anyone and everyone that has anything to say. You can email us at moviesofmadness at gmail.com. Find the cast of Cthulhu on Facebook at um, Cthulhu Cast, or find us on Twitter at Cast Cthulhu. Also, James is Fistful of Media, and I am Nolan Fixes Teeth. You can leave comments um, at uh, castofcthulhu.podbean.com or com and find the cast of Cthulhu there. But yes, yeah, so next week, and not just next time, but next week, I realize because of our WandaVision episode, if we do a bi-weekly thing as we have typically intended to do, then this, you know, the Endless would come out basically right before the month would switch. I don't really want right. to do that. So next episode on the Endless is going to be next week. So a very rare um, back-to-back-to-back situation here on the cast of Cthulhu. Don't get used to it. Um, because we are that thing at the end of Resolution where we will uh, um, not give you the ending that you are hoping for in <laughs> that case. But yeah, um, be sure to tune in next week where we'll be covering uh, The Endless, also written by and directed by Benson and Moorhead. But in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with Dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 